Last week, we uh, did a survey of uh, two terms, substantially established existence and existence established exclusively by being something imputed by conceptual cognition. We had used last week the word only rather than exclusively, but I think exclusively makes uh, far more sense. I, because uh, then it gives clearly the idea that uh, it's excluding something. Um, I don't really want to repeat everything that uh, we said last week. It was very complicated. And uh, we went through the position that uh, each of the tenant systems had regarding these two terms, starting with Vaibhashika, then to Sautrantika, Chittamatra, and Svatantrika. We uh, did this as a way to go farther in depth about the Svatantrika school. And then after uh, we complete our survey of all the various types of uh, ways of establishing existence that uh, uh, in the way that they're defined in Svatantrika, then we can go to Prasangika. What I uh, thought to uh, have today was more of a uh, discussion, meditation, about uh, specifically about substantially established existence. It's a term that uh, is not usually discussed so much in uh, the presentation of uh, these tenant systems. And if you recall, substantially established existence is existence established as a substantial entity, taking it uh, a little bit more fully, flushing it out. And uh, this is uh, something that uh, has the ability to perform a function. That's its uh, definition. And Vaibhashika had uh, this uh, referring to both static and non-static phenomenon and the function that it uh, that both of them perform according to Vaibhashka is to uh, act as the or serve as the focal condition for the cognition of them. The rest of the tenant systems uh, that we're discussing here um, Sautrantika, Chittamatra and Svatantrika reject that, that uh, static phenomenon are also uh, considered as having the ability to perform a function and it is only defined as uh, or specified uh, to refer to non-static phenomenon. Uh, these are things that uh, can perform a function and there are two types of uh, function that uh, are delineated in uh, Sautrantika it is to uh, uh, produce an effect or a result and uh, also to act as the natal source for the cognition of it, of uh, the phenomenon, the non-static phenomenon. This is because the term for substantial entity is the same as the term for a natal source. That was the uh, term that we found in Chittamatra referring to uh, the karmic seed as being the natal source for the objects and uh, ways of being aware of them that arise in a moment of cognition. Also, all uh, substantially established existent phenomenon 
are uh, have existence established from their own side. This is uh, a, a logical pervasion. That's why Prasangika is going to refute substantially established existence because uh, nothing has uh, existence established from its own side, according to Prasangika. If we look at uh, Sautrantika, because uh, things substantially have substantially established existence, existence established from their own side, they say that they are externally established, that uh, they are, this is referring to uh, forms of physical phenomenon, various uh, objects, physical objects, and uh, also uh, ways of uh, being aware of something and the non-congruent affecting variables that are imputations on them. All of these exist externally before we cognize them. So this uh, table exists externally. Your body, uh, when I'm looking at, exists externally. Person imputed on it exists externally before I see you. And ways of being aware exist externally, for instance, in somebody else's uh, mental continuum when we have extrasensory perception and are able to know the thoughts of others. So they're also externally established. Um, what are the implications of this? This is what I think uh, we need to uh, explore. Does this really make sense? And uh, if we put this together, one way of putting it together is that uh, to think of it in terms of self, you know, our whole series of uh, discussion here about uh, voidness or emptiness uh, regarded the uh, voidness of the self, of person, of ourselves. And so this is what uh, we can think about is, am I an externally existent phenomenon? Do I exist before anybody knows me or sees me or I see myself in the mirror or anything like that? And am I able to perform a function? So, for instance, I take a selfie of myself I post it on Instagram or Facebook, so I do things. I'm the source of that action, and it gets results. I get likes. I see them, and I get happy. So I uh, produce a fact, effects. So this is the thing to consider. Does the fact that from what I do, I get likes and praise, or other people say I love you, does that establish my external objective existence. You know, a lot of people are very insecure and they do this all the time. They post selfies all the time or they post uh, photos of uh, the meals that they have and they wait for likes. Why do they wait for likes? Does that establish that they, does that make them feel that they actually exist? If nobody likes my posts, do I still exist? I mean, this is an external source 
of confirmation that I exist. We have that the same way in order to prove the existence of the other person loves me. We have to uh, have them say, I love you. And it's not sufficient for them to say it once. They have to say it over and over again. Does that establish or prove that they actually love us? And if they didn't say it, they don't? These are the things to think about in terms of this whole presentation of substantially established existence and external existence. Do we need external confirmation to confirm or establish that we actually exist and we're worthwhile and so on. Think about that. And think about it in terms of ourselves and our behavior. I need confirmation that I'm worthwhile as a human being and that even I exist. And how do I get that? I'm doing something, posting a selfie and getting likes, producing a result. By performing well at the gym. By producing something at work. By getting a good grade at school. extreme example of being in solitary confinement which right. is not something I've experienced but something I've read and heard uh, documentary which, what documentary is about and it's a state where you do have this for a prolonged amount of time and you have different psychological effects you know like you start talking to yourself and you start making things up to confirm your existence and so on so is there like a could you say there's a healthy amount of self-affirmation that's needed for to remain healthy when you have a samsaric normal mind? Well, this is an interesting question. He's asking about uh, being in self in solitary confinement, and people tend to really go crazy if they're in solitary confinement for a long time. They start talking to themselves and uh, so on. If uh, you recall the discussion that we had about uh, a theme of uh, relational ethics that uh, is brought up in uh, contextual therapy based on the works of uh, Martin Buber, I and Thou, that uh, in a sense one establishes uh, dependently arising existence of uh, the self in relation to other. And there are many ways in which that's done in contextual therapy that's referred to as the ontic uh, dimension. But uh, what it's saying is basically, you know, we have uh, in Buddhism the idea of dependent arising and the dependent arising uh, has to do with uh, dependently arising on uh, parts, so the aggregates for the self dependently arising on uh, causes and uh, conditions that uh, 
you know, we're influenced by, you know, the environment and the parents and uh, all of that. And uh, by previous lives, you know, if you really want to take it uh, much more fundamentally, our existence is uh, established dependent on previous existence, previous moments of our existence, and uh, dependent arising in terms of uh, mental labeling. That the person is uh, what uh, the concept or name of the person refers to when labeled on the basis of uh, aggregates and uh, parts. But uh, also there's another type of dependent arising which has to do with uh, relati relativity, that uh, long and short depend on each other, um, big, small, etc. Uh, these two, uh, these pairs arise dependently on each other and it's the same, the idea here in relational ethics is that uh, self and other arise dependently on each other. And without some sort of contrapoint for a self that, uh, it, you know, the self can't really dependently arise. So and there are many modes of how that can be done in terms of uh, uh, an I, uh, it, you know, regard the other person is regarded as an it or it and I, uh, I, I, you know, there, there are six different forms of that, that uh, Bozumini Naj uh, delineates. So in terms of uh, a healthy establishment of the conventional self, yes, it needs to be in counterpoint with something else. So you have in the uh, movie Castaway, where the guy is uh, on an island um, by himself, isolated. He has a uh, football, which he makes a face on, and uh, that's the other that uh, he relates to. Or uh, it could be in solitary refinement, you have an imaginary friend or you know, something like that. So that... points to the fact that we have to differentiate between what establishes the conventionally existent self, which is dependent arising, and only dependent arising from a prasangical point of view, and what we imagine establishes a solidly existing self, a self that's established from its own side. In which instances in so that life, is not so in daily life that's not so easy to differentiate yeah. in daily life most of us are thinking in terms of establishing a self yeah. you know a self-established uh, self yeah. that there's something on my side that makes people like me yeah. and like my posts I'm special you know that's why we have the whole training and nothing special to help overcome that. So think again about uh, what are the probably unconscious ways and strategies that we use to try to establish the concrete existence of ourself 
And notice how it always fails because we're never satisfied. We feel insecure. And so we always want it further and further and further. More and more likes, more and more, you know, tell me that you love me. Send me flowers. Praise me for my work. And note how this fits in very well with the whole training on gaining equanimity or developing equanimity toward the eight worldly feelings. Being pray, you know, feeling overexcited and elated when people praise you and feeling depressed when they uh, criticize. Does the praise establish us as a good person, that I really exist, and the criticism establishes me as a really bad person? Have I produced these effects and therefore I exist like that? And this is a deeper way of overcoming that uh, uh, so-called childish response to the eight worldly feelings. thinking about this, you have to be very careful not to fall to the extreme of nihilism, but it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Yes, and if you're in an abusive relationship with a boss, for example, and they, they are uh, all the time saying that you're, you're bad and you're worth, worth nothing, it would be a nihilist to say it doesn't matter. No, it's just like... Well, to... <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship at work, the boss is always saying you're worthless and you're no good uh, to just uh, say that it doesn't matter is not a proper response because uh, um, you have to do something about it. Either and what to do about it, you need to examine whether or not uh, what the boss is criticizing you for is has any basis in reality. If it does, change that. And if it doesn't, then you see whether the boss is willing to uh, accept reality or maybe you have to leave the job, find something else.
if that's possible. Sometimes that's not even possible. Sometimes you have to just uh, bear with it. Then you follow the strategy of give the victory to the others. You know, I'm sorry that I'm so incompetent. You know, I'll try better. Something like that. Give the victory to the others. So there are many different strategies that uh, we can use based on uh, the Dharma. And you also have a confirmation that if you were really, really incompetent, if that was true, then you would be fired. Right. And by the fact that... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. If you were really incompetent, you would be fired. And the fact that the guy doesn't fire you <laughs> indicates uh, that you are functional. You have the ability to perform a function. But this is an interesting concept. I mean, Sautrantika asserts this. I produce an effect, therefore I exist. I th think, therefore I exist. Ergo, you know, cogito ergo sum. And this is part of our Western philosophy as well, the work ethic. is there. So it does function. But if we analyze it on a deeper level, just because we get a lot of likes doesn't affirm that I exist and that I'm worthwhile, does it? Yeah. Uh, what came to mind is uh, that uh, this is not only working uh, in our outer relationships in a way, but uh, it's, it, it brings us to the deep habit of uh, rumination and uh, this non-stopping thinking, because it brings us a lot of confirmation in the end. Because going back to memories and where I was in the situation and I had a position, and so this is not only um, uh, something that brings us to some outer behavior, also to inner behavior in a way, mm -hmm. like uh, this mental wandering. Therefore, I think we have this uh, constant mental wandering. Which is a confirmation, confirmation of I exist. that I exist in a way, bringing a lot of confirmation. Right. So what she's saying is that uh, the fact that uh, we have so much uh, mental wandering about uh, the past and the future what I did, remembering what I did, planning what uh, I'm going to do, and so on, that uh, this is uh, also a strategy that we use. You know, I'm performing a function. I'm thinking this is the real cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. That uh, this is also a strategy that we have. And I think that from a Sautrantika point of view, that this is helpful. I think this is what we need to see. I mean, although we could refute it on a deeper prasangika point of view, we have to see, as Sirkin Rinpoche always said, you know, not think that these uh, systems are stupid and of no help. So how would it help us? For instance, uh, thinking about what uh, we've done in the past, and uh, planning for the future, producing an effect. Mm -hmm. 
affirming that we produced effects in the past and that uh, planning to produce more effects in the future. How would that be helpful? You take yourself seriously and you take karma seriously. That's right. You take yourself seriously and we take karma seriously. It helps to affirm our conviction in karma, cause and effect. That's very important, isn't it? So although we are mixing confirmation of the conventionally existent level with, you know, mixing it with truly established existence, but that's what uh, Sautrantika asserts. So in asserting or feeling that we've established our true existence by doing something, from a Sautrantika point of view, we've established our conventional existence. So if we think exclusively in the Sautrantika point, from the Sautrantika viewpoint, it works, it's beneficial. If you think of old people, somebody who has dementia, who can't remember what they did in the past and doesn't remember any people and so on, that's really a horrible state of mind. She feels you really don't exist. And also even people that, old people who don't make any plans for the future, who don't think in terms of doing anything further in their lives, which is sort of waiting to die. That also is a terrible state of mind, isn't it? You lose a sense of you know, the worthwhileness of conventional me. So it's quite interesting when you think, you know, even in terms of compassion, compassion is a source of happiness. His Holiness Dalai Lama always says that. But if we think of others and the benefit of others and so on, we're not thinking of me, me, me. And uh, we want them to be happy and generate happiness towards them and freedom from suffering. We experience it ourselves because we're generating it from our minds. So that makes perfect logical sense. But it is producing something, isn't it? I feel compassion for others. I wish for them to be free from suffering and I'm doing something about it. So from a Sautrantika point of view, that affirms that I conventionally exist. Otherwise, if we're completely disconnected from everybody, We feel, what's the point of living? So these are interesting things to think about. Any further comments from the Sautrantika point of view?
Do you find that you do follow this strategy? That you want others to confirm our existence? We produce an effect. I do something and then they say that I like, you know, they love me. They like me. Never. <laughs> <laughs> or that we perform well at uh, the gym. <laughs> yes, our CrossFit addict is being sarcastic here. <laughs> I think it's also important in recording this uh, future children that we need the confirmation. Can you speak a little louder? Right. For raising children, what he's saying is that uh, they need to, uh, children need to get a sense of uh, self-affirmation. And they do that by doing something, helping at the house, in the house. You know, even that. Or being naughty. Well, being naughty, they feel, and getting scolded. Then they get attention, so they feel I exist. That also is a strategy children use, but we can help them to develop a uh, positive strategy. That's true. And parents also get a confirmation of their existence and worthwhile at having raised a, a child, produced a child and raised a child. I can imagine a way in which you could implement a destructive, uh, nothing special kind of strategy for children. You could, I think children do need this reaffirmation. Right. Children do need some reaffirmation, that, but not, again, middle way. If every child is special and everything that they do is special, this becomes uh, quite toxic for the I child. In many like uh, parenting guides, I've heard this guideline that is very difficult to implement, which is which says to praise children for effort, not for talent. It's very difficult because you're usually impressed by talent and you react very positively. But to remember not to do that, but rather to praise for having effort, even if it's not a great. Right. So you praise the, the guideline that is referring to for raising children is to praise the children for making an effort, not necessarily for their talent in doing well. But uh, I don't have any kids, but Pardon? if you pra I, I do not have children, but if you praise the child um, for the effort and not for the talent, uh, you run the risk that the child exhausted itself on, on some, some activity that uh, it's not suitable. As a parent, you have the responsibility to see what is what to do and what not. What is what is good to do or what is not good to do. If you praise for every for every effort that the child makes, then the child can exhaust itself on some habits. And, uh, well, that's a very I mean that's an interesting uh, point. He's saying that if you praise a child for effort in something that they don't have talent for, and they're not able to uh, succeed at. 
is that destructive or do you need to actually tell them that you know maybe this is not for you <laughs> this is not your field you can, you can praise them for effort and still communicate it to them pardon you can praise them for the effort and still communicate that to them right you can praise them for the effort and still communicate for that for them you know a child wants to be a musician and they have you know they have a terrible voice they can't carry a tune and they try and they try when do you tell them to uh to stop i don't know that's difficult to do diplomatically isn't it well, i mean you're a parent i have no i, I don't have the it, it, there are diplomatic solutions for example you uh praise them for their effort and the next day you bring home a brand new drum set so they don't have to sing they can bang on the drum right <laughs> that's true so you so instead right you don't you so what he's saying is that you can praise them for the effort but then you introduce them to some other area that they might have more talent in and uh, hope that they'll get interested in that yeah that's a uh, distract the child strategy <laughs> that uh, works you said diplomatic Diplomatic. That is diplomatic. That is. That is. Can we do that with ourselves? We should. We should be able to yeah, do that with should. ourselves, yeah. to uh, face reality, to know our limitations mm -hmm. without setting false limitations. That's very true. That's very true. So... We see a graded stage here of uh, development, which is uh, what the study of the tenant systems uh, teaches us, that uh, we have uh, graded understandings. And first, the Sautrantic understanding is quite helpful. From a Chittamatra point of view, you can't establish, I can't establish my existence externally, but I do substantially exist. I exist from my own side because within the cognition of myself, I do things. I'm aware of posting selfies and it does produce effects. I get likes, which I'm aware of. <laughs> you know, there's a reflexive awareness is uh, something that both Sautrantika and Chittamatra assert. And it's sort of like the recording device, internal recording device that uh, cognizes, uh, for instance, uh, the body consciousness of the physical sensation of my body performing the function of taking and posting selfies. So we are aware. And uh, through awareness of what we're doing and so on, we establish that uh, we're existing. So from a Sautrantika point of view, I can't establish that other people who like me exist before I look at their likes. They're just that. <laughs> I can't establish that other people who post their likes for me exist before I look at their likes. But when I see their likes, does the fact that I was the source of that effect establish that I exist? Does the fact that the natal source of my taking the selfie and seeing the likes is a karmic seed comes from a karmic seed, does that make any difference? 
my karma from a Chittimatra point of view, from any point of view, my karma didn't cause you to click like. But still, from not me, you, in other words, the likes came, which I caused. I'm substantially existent. From a Chittimatra point of view, my existence is substantially established. You follow that? How do I know that other people like me? That they like my posts? That's an interesting point of view. I make a website. How do I know that people use it? What establishes that they use it? That I look at analytics and I see the numbers. And if I didn't look at analytics, are they still using it? How do I know? Can we be confident that what I did was good unless we get confirmation from somebody else? And if we don't get confirmation, does that mean that uh, what we did was no good? Is your motivation based on the confirmation? Well, that's the question. Is your motivation based on the confirmation? That is the question, isn't it? And is the motivation to look at the analytics, this self-affirmation, or uh, alternatively an, um, an effort to make the website better, more usable, more accessible, whatever? Right. Is the reason for looking at analytics to just uh, feel good at how many people like it or is it to help to, uh, uh, you know, data driven development? Probably both. <laughs> In most cases. Yeah. No, but I'm, you know, this is not, I mean, I'm just using that as an example. There are many other examples that we can think from uh, our own lives. Try to think of some examples. If I don't hear from you, then we jump to all sorts of conclusions, don't we? There are people who always have to touch everything or try on everything. And that somehow affirms my existence because I'm perceiving it. You know, people who are constantly, let's say they're in a relationship and they constantly have to hold hands and kiss each other and have physical contact. Otherwise, they feel insecure. What does this not have to do with Chittamatra? Chittamatra has to do with the fact that you only know that it exists when then in the context of perceiving it. Mm -hmm. There's no way of confirming that it exists without you perceiving it. Outside of your cognition. Mm -hmm. But still, the same mechanism is there. But then also as a Tantra, you have to perceive it, no? Otherwise you can't well, think of it. 
No, not necessarily. From Sautron to a point of view, whether you perceive it or not, it is objective reality. The analytics say it. Yeah, but Nikita Mata view, um, whether, whether you look the analytics or not, um, you, it, it doesn't mean that other people don't, uh, don't look at the backside, right? Well, sure. If, if you don't look at the analytics, you can't establish yeah, that's, that's that other, well, this is what we're talking about when we talk about modes of existence, is how do you establish that, uh, how do you establish that people built this building that we're sitting in? I didn't see them. So how do I know? South Trantica would say simply by logic. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, the fact that there's a building here establishes that, you know, whether we see it, whether we live in it or not, it establishes that uh, it was caused by people performing a function, building it. That's objective reality. Yeah, but even if it's not objective reality, even in Chittamata, there are causes for the building to arise. Right. Even in Chittamata, there are causes for things arising, but I can't establish it unless I am aware of it. I can only establish it in the context of knowing it, thinking about it. I can't establish it outside of my thinking about it. So then the question is, does this make much of a difference? Because we're still asserting substantially established existence established from our own side. So it's interesting when we start to analyze that. Do I take your feelings toward me as being objectively real? Or do I have to see them and hear them, you know, through an expression? And only that makes it real. Well, we're not talking about how do you know about it. We're talking about does it exist? How you know about it is, you know, separate issue. Yeah, but if you don't know about it, then how can you know if it exists or not? If that is, if, <laughs> how do you know it exists or not if you don't know it? Well, this is the whole 
debate between Sartrantica and Chittimatra. How do you establish it? What establish? No, we're not talking about how do you know what establishes it. Just what establishes it. Come on, this is materialistic scientific point of view. You don't have to know it. It's objectively real, the material world. Well, you can use concepts that you learn. You could use concepts you can learn to know about it. Did evolution take place? Did the Big Bang take place? Whether I know it or not, it took place. Or if you believe in, you know, God created the world, does it matter whether I know that or not? Not at all. That's objective reality. And it's established just by the fact that here's the world. Therefore, it must have been created by somebody or it must have come from the Big Bang or came from, you know, beginningless cause and effect. Whatever, the subjective reality. And each one of these realities exist. Because each one of perspective that your, your concept that you've uh, grown to learn that establishes its existence. So it could be multiple existences of the same thing that are established. Well, I'm not quite sure I follow. Because you said are you that are at you one point... It's yeah, no, I mean, existence that God created. Right. Uh, yeah, there are many ways of explaining. The there are many ways of explaining the objective existence of something that's true. But still, that whether you are, you know, a creationist or a scientist, you still believe that the world objectively exists. So that's Sartrantica. So then Shudamatra says, well, how do you know that? How do you, how can you establish that? Well, then that becomes interesting. How would a, a, a Chittimatra establish that God created the world or that the world came from the Big Bang? What's the answer to that? Or that it had no beginning? What's the answer to that? How would... A Chittimatra established that. Because you call matter, these functions exist. Uh, you cognized it how? Direct, you know, bare perception? Did you see it? No. You're on the right track. How, what's the, the way of knowing? Because you, you see the result, so you can infer the cause. Right. You see the result, therefore you can infer the, re, the, the cause. So by inference. So you know that there was a cause by valid inferential logic. But this, of course, assumes that you accept cause and effect. If you believe that, there, that things arise from no cause, then that's how you think that, that it came. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's weird because the, the current state that you can perceive does not necessarily contain all the information that you need to infer the past. 
Right. So what all the information that you have that you can perceive doesn't uh, is insufficient for making a valid inference is what in you're saying. Cases, in, some, in, many cases. in some ways, you know, some. Well, this is the interesting thing. Somebody could infer from the present situation that God created the world. Somebody could infer that it came from the Big Bang. And another person could infer that it came from no beginning. So then you have to examine their, you know, their reason for inferring that. What is that, you know, what's their line of reasoning? Well, this gets very complex, doesn't it? But still, they would say it's only through either inference or faith. Well, it comes from something or out of nothing. Out of nothing. Well, the question is, did it come from out of nothing before I thought about it? Or did it just come from out of nothing, the present situation? Was there a past? How do you know there was a past? Yeah, but who would say it then? Which position should this be? Which position would say that? The nihilist position. Yeah, I don't know. Regardless, but we can consider that position. How do I know that there was a past? Because I can remember. And in my thinking process, when I ask other people, they confirm it. And you have the photos. You have the photos. Well, you ever hear of fake news? <laughs> fake <laughs> doctored photos? Well, you have the videos. Oh, those can be doctored too. <laughs> <laughs> videos can be doctored too. We can take the Chitamata argument or any, any school argument like that, even in a dream. Right, exactly. In a dream, you can show photos and remember things that uh, also have no basis. And have people confirm you. And have yeah. people in your dream confirm it. You can ask everybody. That's true. That's true. So how do you solve that? I mean, this is, you know, one has to analyze it to the macho position. <laughs> Does it make any sense? Is there valid cognition? I think Chittamatra does assert that there is valid cognition and there are means of uh, validating. I mean, in science, does it mean like looking for the fossil record or something like this? Pardon? In, in science, you would look for the fossil record. Right. In science, you would look for the fossil record. You would look for not just inference. You would look for what you can actually perceive with bare cognition, with your senses. Right, but also, sure. come on, you can also yeah. do things you know, in physics, you just uh, use mathematics. Yeah. It's not based on seeing anything to derive laws that would explain something. The existence can be dependent on how you see or observe it. Give an example. Well, another could, let's say, uh, um, uh, uh, something interstellar. Right. That uh, it's every something is maybe in so many different positions that one single 
second or one single moment, but you're only seeing it in that position, that moment you're observing it, and you don't know how it is when you're not observing it, or what state it's in, or anything. And the fact that you're observing it is making it that state that it exists at that moment. Well, that's right. When you look through a telescope or make any sort of measurement, you only know how it is right now. You know, when the light reaches you now. And you just assume by theory that it followed a, a, uh, uh, a regular pattern before that. But you don't really know. You can't really establish that, can you? Except make an observation 20 years later and see if it follows the pattern. But even that doesn't establish that it always... Because 20 years later, you're in a different state of mind, and your state of mind also influences the observation. And also, it's too short a period of time for a star. That's for sure. Well, I'm just using as an example. Right. Right. But you can also interpret data, you know, very differently. Does that make it real? You know, there's a certain uh, sort of uh, irregular signal that's detected with the radio... Uh, telescope, and you can interpret that as an alien civilization sending a signal, or you can interpret it, you know, as uh, some background interference caused by some other phenomenon that uh, we haven't identified. Or the Russians. Or the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Chittimatra, I mean, it's, it's not so easy. This whole discussion of uh, is there objective reality or not? Just because I think like that doesn't make it correct, does it? You know, in general. Just because from a karmic seed some preposterous idea comes to my mind. That in itself doesn't establish that it exists. That we have to understand, you know, just because they talk about that uh, the object in that uh, preposterous thought, you know, and the uh, thought that is thinking it come from a karmic seed, from the same karmic seed, doesn't validate what we think doesn't establish that it just establishes that it appears that's all that it's establishing that the natal source of it is not something that we can establish existed outside before but does you know just because I think it or I see it doesn't establish that it exactly exists the way that it appears And then it depends on how literally you take, you know, the affirmation that you get when you ask other people whether that actually confirms it. Because as you said, you could do that in a dream. And all the dream people affirm that uh, what you see is real. 
rather than longer. They, uh, they don't objectify uh, completely anymore since uh, quantum physics uh, is developed. So they also would say it depends still. My what what on the question I asked and on the on the way of observing things, they they depends how what are the fields. Right. So, so they are, they are also out of that objectivity since a hundred years already. But you would be surprised how how few scientists have taken this at a gut level. Yeah, of course. In other fields of science, they're probably unknown nearly. But in physics, uh, people who are in the field, I mean, they know it since a hundred yeah. years. Well, no, you're saying is that uh, <coughs> uh, from the point of view of quantum physics, you can't say that there is objective uh, reality. It depends on the questions you ask, what you're observing, and uh, the observer, and so on. That is true, but as Jorge points out, to accept that on a gut level, or I would express it slightly differently. You could accept it on a, um, uh, what's the word, uh, subatomic level, yeah. but to you know accept it on a what is the word macro macroscopic, macroscopic uh, level, yeah. and a you know in a metaphysical level, yeah. hardly anybody accepts it like that. And it bothered the hell out of Einstein. He tried to get rid of that. Yeah. Right. Course, right. So Einstein was very upset about that. That uh, couldn't be confirmed on a macroscopic level, and he tried to even the macroscopic part, or even microscopic level, <laughs> and he uh, tried to refute that quantum uh, view. So anyway, we have these two points of view. We have Sautrantika and we have Chidamatra. Uh, Svatantrika. Uh, we don't have much time left, but it was saying that I substantially exist externally, established from my own side, but I can't establish my external existence separately from being what the concept of me and a word me refers to on the basis of that substantially existing me, established from my own side. Can we repeat that more slowly? <laughs> Svatantrika does assert, I mean, Sautrantrika, Svatantrika, Yogacara Svatantrika agrees with Chiramatra. But uh, Sautrantika Svatantrika says, I do substantially exist externally, established from my own side, but I can't establish my external existence. I do exist externally, but I can't prove it. I can't establish that there is such a thing as I, me, separately from being what the concept of me and the word me refers to on the basis of that substantially established me, established from my own side. So you have to have, so the concept, conceptual cognition and the labeling of me doesn't create me. I can't prove it simply by that. It doesn't prove it simply by that because I actually do exist, because I do things. I take selfies, I post them, I get likes. I do all these things. Whether anybody notices it or not, I do, you know, I do do these things, but I can't establish that there is such a thing as a me 
all by itself, separately from that me being labeled on the basis of this substantially existent me that performs functions. That's a Svetantrika point of view. So that gets a little bit more sophisticated and something that uh, uh, we need to really think about. What is me? Me is not, I mean, there's nothing with the five aggregates that you can draw a line around and say, that's me. It's what the concept and word me refers to on the basis of those aggregates. However, there is a substantially, you know, functional me there. It's not just being labeled on anything. Is what Svetantrika is saying. It's that combination in terms of how I establish that I exist. How do I prove it? But still, I exist before anybody knows, you know, sees me. And I can't establish that by itself. And I can't establish that I exist simply because it's what the word or concept refers to. It has to be a basis, a findable basis, established from its own side. That's me. Somewhere in the aggregates, and they say, that'll get us to defining characteristics, and that's in mental consciousness, they would say. Okay, so more and more points to think about. I mean, there's a lot that one could analyze and meditate on this topic, but maybe that's enough for today. So we think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everybody to reach the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all. <laughs>